morning. Happy Father's Day. I am Tony Mason. If you don't know me, I'm aspiring to be an elder here at Vintage. And this is my first opportunity to stand before you and preach, bring the word. I'm very thankful for this opportunity. Thankful for Bryce, who's invested in me, and Blake and Stephen and Drew, investing in me, encouraging me to continue forward, to step it up and do the things that God's called me to do. These are, these are big shoes standing up here in front of you today, and it's with a lot of humility and pride at the same time that I, that I have this opportunity. As I was getting ready to leave, uh, I heard Eden clippity-clopping around in, in my shoes, and then I heard uh, my second youngest, Cruz, he said, Eden, get out of Daddy's preaching shoes. <laughs> so, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. So, training and guiding children has been on my heart. It's what Colleen and I talk about. We meet together once, once a week just to talk about how we're doing, how we can improve. This has been on my mind for many years, and reading books on it, thinking about it a lot. I'm really excited to, to bring this word before you today. It fits within the context of our, our core values of worship, worshiping passionately, thinking biblically, flourishing relationally, and today, uh, living missionally. We're living missionally within our home. Last week, Bryce did a really good job of talking about thinking biblically, and that's the core of what we're going to be doing inside of our home, thinking biblically with our family, with our children, those that we have the most influence on. It's our duty and our calling as believers who follow Jesus. When he ascended into heaven, he, before he left, he stood, or spoke down to his disciples who were standing around and he said, go and make disciples of all nations. A lot of people wrongly believe that Jesus said, go and make converts or go and make believers of all nations. That there's, there's a big difference between a convert and a believer. What's required of you to be a believer is to think a certain way or to have have the right thinking about a certain thing, but to be a disciple requires a much bigger commitment. We read in, in Luke 14, Jesus is very clear about this, that a disciple needs to renounce all that he has, even his family, his possessions, putting everything first, putting everything aside to follow Christ. That's our mission and our high calling as believers. And so today we, we talk about the sanctification of our children. That, that's our mission today. 
we cannot live missionally making disciples outside of our home if we're not doing it within our home. Will you pray for me today before I get into this? Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you that we have this group of believers that we gather together every week to to worship, to sing praises to you, to think about you and worship you. We adore you, that you have chosen to offer us forgiveness and grace, that you call us sons, that you call us our Father, that you love us, care for us. Lord, by your mercy and your grace, give me the strength and the courage to share this message that you've laid on my heart today with humility, with boldness. I pray for this congregation that they will have ears to hear and eyes to see. Their hearts will be opened to receive and understand the gospel that you proclaim, that you've made known to us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So if you will, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. This book is written to Jewish Christians who were facing pressure from within their, their own Jewish community to turn back to the religious practices of trying to keep the law and hold everything together to be pleasing and acceptable to God. And at the same time, in the Roman culture, they were facing this pressure to accept pagan gods and false religion. And so throughout the book, there's a theology that Christ is everything we need for holiness. There is no religion that we need except for to worship and follow Christ and we come to this, the last couple of chapters where instructions are being given to them. Okay, what does it look like if Christ is the, the only high priest that we need? If he's the prophet that even Moses talked about? How are we going to live? Pay attention as I'm reading through this to the word discipline. And that's going to be our main topic for today. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? 
My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate sons, and you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral like unholy Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So this text given to the Jewish believers for exhortation to endure and remain true to the gospel of Jesus Christ despite being ostracized by the surrounding culture. Difficulty and struggle are a part of daily life. We're instructed in this verse to view this difficulty and struggle as part of God's discipline. This doesn't mean that if you sin then you're going to be disciplined and your life is going to be hard. Or that if you don't sin and you measure up to God's righteous requirements, that your life's going to go well, you're going to have health and prosperity and just be happy. That's not what this means. It means God has purposed and planned Christians to go through difficulty, that God will use it for our good. But we can also learn something about how to apply discipline because we have God's example of how he applies discipline to us. We know from the Bible, uh, for example, God hates divorce. Why, why does God hate divorce? In Malachi 2, 14 through 15, one primary reason that God hates divorce is because he desires godly offspring. And that is much less likely to happen when the family is broken. So this is God's mission to produce godly offspring, not just descendants, not just more people on the earth, but he wants people that are going to be a blessing to the entire world. That was the promise that was made to Abraham, that his offspring would be a blessing to the whole world. And we know that Jesus is that promise But we participate in that when we participate in the life of Christ. So our mission should be the same 
as God's mission to have godly offspring, holy, sanctified, set apart for his, for his glory. Sadly, many children are, are not a blessing to the world. They're not being raised for that purpose with that mission in mind. Many parents have reached gone beyond the point that they don't even say no to their children, but they're being told that if they don't give in to the foolish whims of a toddler's imagination, that their children should be taken away from them, that somehow they're oppressors. Or parents are being told that if they work really hard to pass on and instill the values that they have into their children, that it's oppressive to the children. This is a really good example of gaslighting. It's kind of a new term for me. Over the past couple of years, it's been thrown around. This is a great example. Gaslighting is a psychological manipulation where an abuser gains control over a victim through confusion and self-doubt. So it's a psychopath, a person who has no heart, has no empathy for other people, will take advantage of the tender heart of a compassionate, normal person and try to convince them that they're the ones that are being oppressive, that they're the ones that are doing wrong. So these psychopaths are convincing parents that they're going to be oppressive to their children by passing on their values. And why would they do that? To gain control over the children so they can pass on their perverse values to the children. If we're concerned at all with being mission-minded, we, we have to start at home with the people in our lives who will never be shaped by anyone else more than they're shaped by us. And they're not just going to be shaped by the things that we say. They're going to be shaped by our example, much more than the things that we say. Well, why is it that pastor's kids often turn out so badly and behave so badly? Maybe not in this church. Maybe not in this church. But there's still time. They're, they're still young. Maybe it's, maybe it's the pressure. You know, an elder has to manage his household well, and so you've got to keep up the pretense. You've got to put on a good show. But we all know that doesn't work. We can't put on our best smiles for Sunday morning and be monsters at home. Fits of rage, self-indulgence, lack of self-control behind closed doors. We know that doesn't work. So our primary task is to be disciplined ourselves. To allow the discipline of God to affect us and change us. I'm going to be a little nerdy for a minute. Uh, I believe words have meaning. That we should think about the words we use. Yes. This word discipline... It can, mean, it can mean different things to different people. You might immediately think of spanking or, you know, putting someone in a timeout. 
But it, it can also mean things like the discipline to learn to play the piano or any other study where you learn something fully. But the root word is from the Latin disere, where we get disciple, discipline, and discern. So let's start with this first point. We're going to look at discerning God's will. You can't learn from someone who doesn't know. You can't give someone something that you don't have. You can't teach someone something that you've never learned. So we turn to Christ who has mastered the spiritual life. We discern from him. And that is our task. So we learn what is God's will. And we know from 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. There you have it. That is God's will for your life. Is God concerned about your happiness and your comfort? Yes. But not as much as he's concerned about your sanctification. He wants to set you apart for his glory. So if Hebrews was written as a guide for, for these people to guide them away from false teaching and to give them the testimony of the legitimate supremacy of Christ as our only high priest, the prophet greater than Moses, our king greater than David, These Christians who were suffering from the Jews who rejected, the, rejected Jesus as the Messiah and from the surrounding pagan culture, the difficulty that they were facing was pressuring them to cave from the Jewish culture and from the outside pagan culture. So our language today in chapter 12 is is full of this kind of painful endurance language. In verse 1 it says, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This word race in the Greek is agona, where we get our word agony. A contest of struggling that you would see in a Roman Colosseum. The person who is going to win the contest is the person who's going to be willing to endure longer than the other person and not give out because it's painful or because it hurts. And what does the end of our text say about Esau? What was his big mess up? He wanted a little bit of comfort. He traded his birthright for one comforting meal. The danger in being focused on comfort is that it, when it's the most important thing to you, when times are tough or troubles come, you start to question, why is this happening to me? Why am I in pain? And the root of bitterness starts to grow. 
But when we're enduring the difficulty as we follow Christ, then we seek peace with everyone rather than being envious of others who may be not going through the difficulty that we're going through. So we turn to Christ because, as I said earlier, you, you can't learn something from someone who doesn't know it. If I want to learn how to play the piano, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look to someone like Blake who knows how to play the piano or how to have a better marriage. I'm going to turn to Drew who's been married much longer than me. If I want to learn how to weight lift, I turn to the strongest man in the church. The verdict's not out yet on who that is. So so we turn to Christ for our sanctification. How does God teach us? Uh, Katie read from Romans 12, 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The patterns of this world are pursuing comfort, pursuing constant distraction. But to be transformed by the renewing of your mind requires testing in order to learn what is the will of God. There are different kinds of learning and knowing. One kind of learning and knowing is to read things in a text, being tested to prove that you have understood the information and you can regurgitate it. But there's another kind of knowing that's more like riding a bike, the kind of knowing that you can't forget. You may not have ridden a bike in a decade, but you still know. You get back on the bike and you do it. Maybe you're shaky at first, but you do it. I've taught almost all my children now how to ride a bike. And I can promise you, not one of them got on the bike and rode it the first time without falling off. In fact, they fell off many times. If you've learned how to ride a bike, you know this to be true. Testing and trying and failing and testing and trying and failing is the way that we discern the spiritual life. I would put my children on the bike. I would show them, you know, this is where your hands go. This is where your feet go. This is how you move your pedals. They go this way. You go forward. If you move them the other way, you're going to hit the brakes. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. But we don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He shows us. He tells us where he wants us to walk. Where he wants us to look. The way, the way he wants us to think. We don't always get it right. 
but it's continual. We continue to learn. We continue to take steps forward. It's a process of continual sanctification. To facilitate this, thinking biblically is one of the primary things that we need to do. Like Bryce preached last week, you can't leave the Bible on your coffee table and expect the Word of God to just radiate in the room like Wi-Fi and be absorbed into your brain. That doesn't work. You've got to be reading the Scriptures. So everyone should be doing the four F's. Find a time that you're not going to be interrupted, that you can focus on reading the word and fight for that time. You're not going to miss your lunch break at work. If you have a dentist appointment, you're going to move other things aside and make sure you make the dentist appointment. You have to fight for that time. And you have to feed on the word of God. Read, study, meditate, and follow Allow the word of God to question you, to question the things that you do, your choices. Before you leave today, if you don't already do that every day, write down a time that you can set aside to do the first of the four F's before you leave today. And start doing that. If you're doing that, you're doing well. You're doing very well. You're well on your way to being sanctified by the word of God. If you add to that meditating, fasting, nothing says to our, our bodies that, that want to be comforted to set aside a meal to say, you know what? Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I'm going to put the scriptures first. To discipline the body, to put the things that you want to put first, that God wants you to put first. And you continue with the discipline of gathering together like you've done today, worship with other believers, interceding for others. Another way of telling our whiny bodily appetites for comfort, hey, hold on a minute, is to pray for other people. Pray for the comfort of other people. The goal in discipline is perfection, but it's reached by successive steps. At what point have you become sanctified enough that it's time for you to discipline your children? When you're one step ahead of your children, that's when. You can start to teach them. So how do, be, how do you begin to discipline your children? If you don't have children, are you a child? Obey your parents. Do what they're asking you to do. Are your children grown? Have they left the house? You can show younger parents, even through your horrible mistakes. You can help them. You can encourage them. You can exhort them. 
So if you don't have children, don't skip over this section because it applies to everyone. The way that we discipline our children should be the imitation of the way the Lord disciplines us. So you can learn from these passages of Scripture how the Lord will discipline you. Verse 6 says, The Lord disciplines the one he loves. Your discipline that you give to your children should be out of love. It's not to harm them, but sometimes discipline needs to hurt. But it's for love that you discipline your children. And it doesn't look the same for everybody. You have to think about the choices that you make. We, we've got a hot griddle that we cook breakfast on sometimes. And we could put obstacles in the way or make it more difficult for our youngest to reach up there and, and touch that. Because that's going to be painful for them. And it'll be annoying for us because then we have to listen to them cry. We really don't want them to be hurt. But some we leave it out because we love them. We would rather them feel a small amount of pain now and learn to listen to our voice. That's hot. Don't touch that. And for them to know the kind of knowing that you know deep in your bones because later there might be something else like a an emergency situation where there's a real fire or there's something that will actually harm them. We want them to listen to our voice and when we say, no, that's hot, don't touch, we want them to pull back because they know that in their bones. It's, we make decisions like that because of love. It's not for our selfish motives that we're annoyed that they're doing this thing so I'm going to inflict pain on them because I want this annoying thing to stop. Verse 7 is for your discipline that you have to endure. Discipline requires endurance. Standing your ground under a heavy load of resistance. God knows that we must endure his discipline. That it takes time for it to have its full effect. It's wearisome to discipline children because you do the same thing over and over and over again hoping that they'll get it this time but you keep going. Whatever types of discipline that you've chosen to use you have to endure to wear, to wear a path in their understanding in a way that they'll know it in their bones. Verse 8 says if you're left without discipline in which all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Without discipline, children are fatherless. You have to maintain the discipline if you're going to continue to be the parent to the child. You can lose them. If you don't discipline them now, later on, the, the things that you overlooked, when a, when a toddler is biting, it's not a big deal, but when a teenager is biting that's a really big deal you may end up losing that child if you decide not to discipline them 
You can also lose them in little ways because you're tired and you don't want to get off the couch. You don't want to intervene again because you've intervened over and over again. You start to lose them little by little to the influences of the world and to their flesh. Verse 9 says we had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Your discipline earns your children's respect. Not trying to be their friend or their buddy. But we earn their respect through discipline. And strong fathers, strong daughters, a book I read a few years ago, there's a story of a girl who left the house wearing immodest clothes because she was trying to find out if her dad really loved her enough to say, hey, get back in the house. You're not going out like that. And she respected him for that. She knew that he really did love her. Verse 10 says, They disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but for our good, that we may share in his holiness. If you're older than 30, you know how short time is. It seems like a few weeks ago, I was watching my oldest take her few steps. Now I'm thinking about her taking her permit for her driver's license. It's gone by so fast. I encourage you to make the most of every opportunity that you have. The time is very short. And it's for their holiness. Verse 11 says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. That word trained is in the Greek, I'm going to mess this up, gymnesimenos, which is where we get our word gymnasium. In the Colosseum, they would wrestle and fight in the buff and the raw. 100% effort, sweaty, disgusting, That's the kind of effort. That's the kind of training that they're talking about. It's not pleasant at the time. But it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. If you're going to be victorious in the Colosseum, you've got to endure that training. And 15, verse 15 says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. Discipline with the same grace that God gives us. Paul in Ephesians 6 and in Colossians 3 commands fathers not to embitter their children. We need to think of ourselves more like the practice gutter guards in bowling for, for little kids. To be there to bounce them from one side to the other rather than trying to hold our children in this perfect straight line right down the middle. We need to be graceful, gracious towards them just as God is gracious to us. And finally, we're, we're guiding them to obtain the grace of God. Every opportunity to discipline is an opportunity to give further details about the gospel what God demands in the law. In our house, we don't lie to each other. In our house, we 
share the things that we have. God has these high demands of us. And we're not going to we're not going to be able to keep up with those demands. But God has also provided a helper, his Holy Spirit. Our last point is disciple. It's not enough to discipline your children, to guide them to holiness. We need to disciple them. We need to disciple others. We need to train them to be kingdom-oriented, thinking biblically, so that when they have children of their own, they're following in our example, making disciples of their children. And the whole church participates in this. The older, older parents, older people, offering guidance, and younger parents having the humility to go to older, older parents and ask them for help, to admit that we don't know everything. And older parents can support younger parents, encouraging them not to give up, but to continue the struggle, praying for younger parents, praying for new parents. Share the gospel with other people's kids. Be a, be a gospel example. If you see someone else's kid misbehaving, even a disapproving look can impact their memory and leave a lasting impression on them. Titus 2, 3, and 4 says, Older women train the younger women. We've, we've benefited greatly, Colleen and I have, from older women who have defied the wishy-washy culture and taught us to stand firm on biblical ideas. Before we had kids, we thought they were crazy. But they were bold and they... They stood firm in what they believed and they told us and it had an impression on us. It came back to us later when we needed it. God is our perfect father. We need to yield to his discipline. In our receiving discipline from him, let's give 100% effort to the training that he has for us. It's our primary task because we can't give what we don't have. We can't teach what we don't know. Make every effort to add to your faith because our children will follow our example far more than just our instructions. Let's guide our children in the truth with love, gently, in the same way that we receive grace from God. And older parents, don't leave a vacuum of the things that you should have said the guidance that you could have given. You could save some younger parents from a lot of frustration and pain that will last generations. So let's spur each other on to make God's mission of having godly offspring our mission. Are we doing everything we can to become more open to God's discipline? Are we doing what we can to eliminate things that don't fit with God's mission? 
Are we doing all that we can to increase our encouragement for young parents? Let's continue to do that more and more. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for these words that you've laid on my heart to share. I thank you for the patience of my listeners today. I pray for parents who are feeling burned out and frustrated that they'll look to you for strength and encouragement to see the bigger picture that the things they're doing right now they might seem tiresome and menial and aggravating but they're the work of the kingdom and they're going to have an impact that will last for all eternity it's an important work, the mission of parenting. Pray you'll bless us as we continue to worship today, that these words will be on our hearts, that you'll help us to understand more and more the discipline and the effort that you require of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.